Amen. But yeah, so I, I wanted to do just kind of a Mind of Christ supplement. Um, it really is a, a foundational topic. Um, I think so much hinges on us understanding what is meant by the Mind of Christ and realizing that you know it's it is ours in Christ Jesus. What is that mind, and, and how does it become ours? Um, and so, got like four passages I want to read. I'm going to start in Mark. And really, I just want to read these passages, and I might say a few things, but also you're you're welcome to you know point some things out if you want. This doesn't have to be one one way street. Uh, but just put these scriptures before us. <clears throat> They're familiar. I think they're all familiar to most of us. Uh, Mark 8. This, this is right in the middle of the book of Mark. Uh, Gospel of Mark. And uh, really the way Mark is constructed is if Jesus goes around doing his ministry, Mark launches right into the action of Jesus. You know, he's boom, and immediately he did this, and immediately he did this, and very fast-paced, you know, story to story. Um, but really the, the theme of the first half of Mark is, is who Jesus really is and how people don't really understand. <laughs> people don't get it. And the second half, um, following the passage that we're going to read, is really him um, trying to bring his <laughs> disciples into a deep understanding of who he is. And uh, this passage... Here is kind of the hinge of the book, right? Um, we'll start in verse 22 because it, it kind of symbolically uh, it, it symbolically sets up what's going to come after this. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought him, brought to him, that's Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes. And laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid, his, laid hands on his eyes again. And he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. You know, there was, a, there was an initial partial healing of the sight. You know, and the sight here is really uh, symbolic for the understanding. The, the seeing with, with uh, seeing clearly, seeing uh, who Jesus is, really, I think is what the, the underlying message is here. That sometimes you can see partially, and it kind of, you can kind of make it out, but it also sort of looks like a tree walking. You know? But then there was, a second, there was a second act, a second laying on of the hands that brought full sight to the man. And so I think Jesus here is, is indicating that there are, there are some who have started to see, but don't see very clearly, don't see completely yet. Um, and I would say that this, this seeing is really a way that we should understand the mind, the mindset. Uh, because the mindset is really the, is really the way that you view life, the way that you see life, the way that you interpret things. When you look around, do you see trees walking? Or do you see things as they really are? You know, I think we a lot of times we stay in a state of we see, and we're pretty sure what we see is tree walking. You know, <clears throat> it's not a tree walking. Uh, and and there's something further that Jesus needs to do. So this story, that miracle, is put right next to this next story, which I think is something of the same same uh, meaning, but in a, in a different context. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That's no relation to Philippians, but it's kind of convenient <laughs> that uh, this thing happens at Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and others one of the prophets. You know, this would be kind of the trees walking conclusions. Well, it kind of looks like this. It kind of looks like this. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, 
You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He's just laying it out there. This is this is what my life is about. And he said this plainly. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. This is the way I live my life. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing the disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And that's the word. That's there. There's our key term, the mind. The reason Peter rebuked Jesus for what he was saying is because his mind could not grasp. His mind was not grasping the cross. His mind was not the mind of Christ. His mind was the man, the mind of a man at that moment. And Jesus had to confront that and say, "This is this is how it this is how it goes." Um, when your mind is set on the things of man, you're not a little bit off. You're all the way off from the way that Jesus operates. You're so off that you rebuke a plain account of what Jesus' life is all about. You say, no, that, that's not, that couldn't possibly be. And a mind set on the things of man does that. It rebukes the way of the cross and the way of the cross comes right back and rebukes the way the mindset of man get behind it say and this is something I mean it that seems extreme <laughs> but this is something that <clears throat> really gets at the heart of Satan's plans right? Satan is not trying to turn everyone into a Satanist that's not the real that's not what I'm afraid of. What I'm afraid of is Satan turning people into Peters who rebuke, you know, the way of the cross. And say, no, this this is this is beneath you. Right? Satan's perfectly content to have well-meaning people who avoid the cross. And that was his that was the way that he tried to tempt Jesus. You know, if you're the Son of God, do it this way. You know, so Jesus was familiar with that voice. He was familiar with that line of reasoning. And when he heard Peter say it, that's why he said, get behind me, Satan. Hmm. This is the eternal opposition to the way of God. Because Satan's way is to to consider equality of God a thing to be grasped, right? To, hey, what's... What's wrong with me having power? I think I need some power. I think I deserve some power. And that's, you know, Jesus is so familiar with that because that's the ancient enemy. That's the, from day one, that is the, the lie of the enemy. And so he hears Peter rebuking him as he's plainly explaining the ways of God. And he's, get behind me, Satan. It's a mindset, right? And that's, that's the, the key point here. So there's two, there's two ways, there's two minds. There's the way of the, the mind set on the things of man and the mind set on the things of God. Um, all right, 2 Timothy. Chapter 4. Nope, chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, 
disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good. Sometimes in these lists, one sticks out to you. That one kind of sticks out to me. Uh, you know, as we're reading through this, not loving good. You know, it, there's the the act of evil, but then there's just not loving good. What, what do you mean? Not loving good. So, like, you know, you you heard the list. You know, slanderous, without self control, brutal, and then it just says not loving good, which isn't so much a bad thing that you're doing as something that you're not doing. Does that make sense? And what you're not doing is loving good. Meaning you don't have a you don't have an appetite for what's good. You know, it reminds me of when Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is true, think about these things. There's an active seeking and embracing and upholding of what's good. You know? And that actually requires some self-sacrifice on your part because we usually want to seek and hold what we want and what we like and what feels good and not say, what is good and how can I love that? You know, it's easy to enjoy something that appeases your flesh. It's hard to find what's actually good, may not appeal to your flesh right now, but to go and love that thing and say, this is good. Anyway. Not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You see how, you know, this tree is walking. You know, there's, there's visual, there's something happening visual. Something's coming through my eyes and, and I'm seeing things, but it looks like a tree walking. I'm always learning, but I'm never able to arrive at knowledge of the truth. Where's the breakdown? It's in the mindset. It's in the mind. <clears throat> How can you constantly be learning and never be able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth? Your mind is set. Your mind cannot process information in a way that leads to truth. It's going to lead away from truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind. And disqualified regarding the faith. Men corrupted in mind. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. You know, it's, again, trees walking. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The mind that rebukes Jesus when he says, I'm going to have to go and suffer, be rejected, it's due to ignorance. And there's a darkened understanding. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. didn't appeal to your senses, right? It didn't seem like the most pleasurable thing. That's not how you learned Christ. 
assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So much about the way of man boils down to desires, right? The mindset on the things of man really is a mindset on the things I want. Well, I think John said it best. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life over in 1 John. Those are the deceitful desires that belong to a mindset on the things of man. So to put off that old self and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I mean, this is such a crucial, this is really the center of everything. For, for those who are walking as disciples of Jesus, this is really where the rubber meets the road. You know, it's, it's as you follow Jesus and as he unfolds to you his purposes, you either rebuke him or you, or you see it and you give yourself to it. <clears throat> Uh, and then uh, Philippians 3, just kind of bringing us home here. Uh, Philippians 3, verse 17. You could really go to any number of places. I won't go to chapter 2 because that's obvious. We had a whole teaching on that last week. Uh, but verse 17 of chapter 3. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Watch people and imitate people whose minds have been changed. Look at the way they approach life. He has just given two great examples back at the end of chapter 2 of Timothy. He says, I have no one like him. When he comes, just watch how he lives. He's a guy who has the mind of Christ. How do I know that? Because he puts others' interests ahead of his own. When his presence in a place, he is locked on to, where's the need? How can I love? How can I serve? He's not interested in what he can get out of you all. He's not interested in how you all can make him feel better about himself. He's not interested in any kind of thing that he might get out of a position of leadership in your church. He's interested in what's best for the people around him. He says, imitate me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's talking about those who have been transformed. Those who have found the secret of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. And that's really what Jesus saw in Peter. Here is an enemy of the cross. The mindset on the things of man is an enemy of the cross. It's not necessarily an enemy of Christianity. It's not necessarily an enemy of church, an enemy of <laughs> an enemy of churchy things. It's an enemy of the cross. And that's really where the mindsets uh, collide the two mindsets at the cross it's not in all the surroundings you know <clears throat> Peter had affiliation with Jesus he was pro Jesus you know he was following him he had left everything said yes this guy knows the way and then when Jesus explained the way clearly to him he said no this is not this isn't how it is and he was an enemy of the cross he wasn't an enemy of Jesus. I mean, ultimately he was. But you hear what I'm saying. He didn't appear. He wasn't a Satanist, right? But Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And the ways of Satan are so much more subtle. 
I, mean, I think Satan loves when people get all scared about Ouija boards. You know? Yeah. <laughs> because probably a lot of the people that are scared about Ouija boards are enemies of the cross. You know? I do think that there are very dangerous uh, open doors to the occult. I'm not trying to downplay that. Uh, Satan will take any any door that you'll open to him, Ouija boards included. <coughs> but Jesus didn't... When, when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, he wasn't talking to someone who was possessed by a demon. He told it to his star disciple. Because he was his star disciple. It says when Jesus Jesus looked at his disciples and said to Peter, you know, he, he sees his audience. He sees everyone who's watching. And he says, it's time. It's time to learn the lesson. Here's what we're going to do, Peter. And I'm sure he had an inclination that, that Peter would respond the way that he did. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And so all his disciples then knew, you know, that's the, that's the real way. And it's not a path to greatness. They're going to have some squabbles about that later on that Jesus is going to have to rebuke them for. They didn't, you know, it didn't, it didn't click always right then. But that's, that's the thing about the minor Christ. You know, it, it is a mindset. It's a totally different way of viewing life. And we really don't know yet. We really don't know the ways in which our mind rejects the, the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really know it until Jesus brings us into a situation where it becomes very clear. And I think it's actually a very good thing in your life to, to sit with the discomfort and to actually feel like you need to reject what Jesus is asking you to do. That's actually a good thing. Because you're now at a, at a point of crossroads. You're at a point of clarity. You're not in the mud and in the fog anymore. The, the difference between the mind of Christ and the mind set on the ways of man has become clear to you. And that is a gift from God. You know, and you might even say in your ignorance, no, this is not, there has to be some, this, this can't be the way that it is. And Jesus will, you know, lovingly, but forcefully, get behind me, Satan. You can't, don't, don't buy into that mindset. Don't think about it like that. Don't look at it like that. There are many who walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction their God is their belly right? there's the desires the, the, just the appetites that's really what's steering their actions throughout the course of the day it's just appetites they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven <clears throat> From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. All right, so when we talk about the mind of Christ, you've got to understand that it's completely different than, than an earthly mind. It's completely the opposite. And... Everything that's earthly in us revolts against it. I mean, naturally. And that can be a, that can be a, a hard place to get to when you, when you are really faced, truly faced with the cross. And it's not, do you want to be a Christian? Do you want to be in church? Do you want to be a good person? But do you want to follow Jesus to the cross? That's the question that 
nobody can really bring you to. That's the crossroads that really no one can bring you to except Jesus. I can't. Your home completer can't. Uh, really no human being can bring you to that place. It's something that Jesus has to do in your life by the Holy Spirit. But he brings us to that place. But then <clears throat> it's a process. I mean, in all those passages that we read, it's a, it's a trans, transformational process. And it happens, I think, sometimes in stages. We might get it a little bit here. And then we see it somewhere else. And then we get it here. I think it's such a prevalent topic in Scripture because it's going to be a lifelong process. But that's really what discipleship is. Is learning from Jesus the ways in which our minds operate differently than his. And for him to point those things out. But then also him not to leave us there, but to give us the way, give us, show us the way, and bring us into the way. And transform our minds to be more like his. So he brings us out of the, the, the things, the mindset on the things of man. He brings us out of that and shows us how starkly it's different. But he brings us into the mind of Christ. And it really is ours in him. As much as we are in him, and hiding ourselves in him, and, and keeping ourselves in him, um, he really does transform our minds. So the life of a... These are my thoughts. My notes. Let's see if we got here. The life of a true disciple makes no sense to our sinful minds. If you've gotten... If you've never gotten to the place where something doesn't make sense, then God... Jesus probably wants to take you a little bit deeper. You've never had that sense of like, this can't be, <laughs> this can't be the way. Because sometimes we'll get there and we'll try and explain it in a different way. Like, oh, okay, I see what you're getting at. So what you're saying is this. No, <laughs> what I'm saying is you lay down your life, take up your cross, and you follow me. Uh, we don't truly understand what it means to be a disciple. But Jesus will teach us and transform our minds as we walk with him and continually pursue his presence in all things. If we invite Jesus, if we soften our hearts and open ourselves to his instruction in our lives, particularly his, his transforming of our minds. You know, I think a lot of times we... Jesus, what should I do? What should I do? What should I do? But I think we need to say, Jesus, how, how should I think about this? How should I approach this? What's my posture here? Does that make sense? We really want to know action items. Jesus, I think, is less concerned with that and more concerned with how you think. Your mindset. That's really what... Because you can do similar things from an earthly mindset and from a godly mindset. And one is Satan. One is the corrupt age, the twisted and perverse generation that's passing away. You know, those guys who creep into households and capture weak-willed women, I think that they thought they were doing a work for God. They probably convinced themselves and convinced other people that we are serving people. These people need us. But it was completely bent on their own desires and for their own good. All right, any thoughts? Does that stir up any... Thoughts or questions? I just think it's really cool. And Mark, during this section, we see like him, you know, Jesus obviously can just heal a blind man, but he like makes us have blurry vision. <laughs> point. 
But then you get like further into this part of Mark, and it's like uh, immediately he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna die," and they're like, "We don't get it." But who's the greatest of us? Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, I'm gonna die. And he's like, and then James and John are like, "Yeah, but can we sit on the right side of your throne?" And then <laughs> it's like bookmarked or bookended with Jesus just healing a blind guy yeah. off off yeah. the rip. But it's like this whole like group of like passages of people almost getting it, yeah. but not really getting it. Yeah, I think it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. Like even the Jesus heals the boy, the dad's like, I believe, but also help with my unbelief because I don't quite get it. You know what I mean, kind of thing. So it's a really neat part of Mark. I think it's kind of just shows too, like how the disciples, <coughs> to your point of not having the mind of Christ, but almost having the mind of Christ, and then obviously after you know the resurrection and the Jews comes down, it's like yeah, they start to have the mind of Christ. Yeah. thinking about how like uh, there's the I was just thinking about like the cross in my life um, and how there is like a clear battle that I found when I know that I need to I know God's calling me to a cross or you know embrace the cross in some aspect and, um, uh, of a relationship or something like that and there's a battle of like Am I going to do that or not? You know, like, am I actually going to do that or not? And I think that there was something in Jesus's uh, response that basically was like, in, in the same way that he dealt with Satan, you mm-hmm. know, when Satan said, "Oh yeah, you don't have to do that. You can just call mm-hmm. out angels and yeah. set up the kingdom." Um, so there was something in the no, the cross is integral to yeah. It's. it's the way that it happens is really important. Um, and I think there's something in that in his response to Peter of like, what you're saying would, I don't know if tempt is the right word, but you know, what you're saying is uh, you're appealing to me to not yeah. do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but then I think that there's like, also in, in my life, there's like a, a whole bit there's another like interaction before that that I think is uh, less on Jesus's side and more on Peter's side, which is the because sometimes and obviously we can trust in Jesus and the Holy Spirit to reveal to us places that He wants us to grow in. Mm-hmm. We just need to be obedient to that. But I think also there's something of like uh, at times I think I've shaped my life and my relationships uh, quote unquote around my belly and what's mm-hmm. comfortable for me. And that I don't even, and I don't have the mind of Christ, and so I don't even see the cross mm-hmm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. And so there's almost like a, you know, literally I've blinded myself. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so just that progressive with the blind man, that mm-hmm. I think that kind of gets at both. Like, oh yeah, I can start to see stuff, and I need to interact with it. Um, I can hear the call to the cross in a situation, but there's a step that's even before that of like, how have I set up my relationships and my life um, to prefer myself? Yeah. And to not even uh, be aware that there could be a place to embrace the cross in, in that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Jesus' message is whoever would save his life, preserve it, enhance it, you know, build a, build a safe nest of relationships around it, would save his life, you lose it. That's just another form of worldliness. Yet another expression of man separated from God. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's, you find it. It's not that you... <laughs> it's not like all your hopes and dreams come true. It's that you realize that in laying your life down, 
Oh, that's what I've been created for. That's what is most in line with the way I was designed as a creature. You know? When Jesus took on flesh, he took on the form of a servant. I mean, mankind was meant to be a servant of God. And um, when we lose our life, we discover what we were made for. And, and as long as we as long as we preserve it, we, we prevent ourselves from seeing that. Line from the hymn we sing, um, Hast thou not seen how thy desires e'er have been granted and what he ordained? Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I was thinking about the cross in my life as well. Um, and there are moments where Jesus reveals something to us. Maybe in part, we don't really know if we see in part or see in whole. We we probably see in part, it seems to be what the Bible says mm-hmm. about when we are revealed stuff. Um, revealed, when stuff is revealed to us. And Peter, it was it revealed to him that Jesus was the Christ. And Jesus said plainly that, you know, man has not revealed this to you. But he obviously saw in part based on his perception of what the significance of hearing that was. And a lot of this correction and identifying of... Uh, corrupted mindset is not it's, we're not hearing an internal monologue as we read the gospel we're not seeing how Peter as he thought in isolation how his mind was changed a lot of this is called out externally uh, as the process uh, of his thinking was made plain as he spoke out loud and even the blind man Jesus asked him what he saw and he confessed what he saw mm-hmm. and it was plain in his confession that he was not seeing clearly <laughs> and the blind man didn't know he'd never seen before how could he know mm-hmm. seeing things walking around his trees is right or wrong yeah. so where this meets me is there are a lot of times where I have a mindset that I'm stuck in and I maybe think it's right but I don't know but I maybe can tell that I, something is probably not perfect just because of how I'm spinning or something and then I get that mindset out in front of somebody else in front of another part, in front of Jesus, really, the body of Christ, mm-hmm. who is under the headship of Christ, and the way that I'm thinking unclearly becomes plain. Mm-hmm. And so a critical part of being in the mind of Christ is getting our thought process out there and not retreating during the week between hunger beings and church and figuring something out and then saying, hey, I figured this out. Mm-hmm. All these years of teaching, I figured out my decision. <laughs> no, that's not how it is. We come and we say, you know, I, we, we say with the psalmist in Psalm 19, like, you know, deliver me from my hidden faults. Like, you know, having elevated the supremacy of God's word. And we, we share our thinking plainly with those who are filled with Jesus in our life. Or else we're not going to know. Yeah. I think that's right in line. And then the very next verse after the uh, passage in Ephesians that we you know, be renewed in the spirit of your minds to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness therefore having put away falsehood let each of you speak the truth with yeah. his neighbor yeah for we are members one of another yeah that's great I think that's good I think that's a really that's good, good way to understand how this does work out in community that we're disciples, but we're not one-off disciples all kind of staying in our own lane. Like, we're learning together. Like, we might need to see Jesus rebuke Peter. Yeah. And we go, oh, okay, I I get it. (laughs) Thanks for taking that one for us. Taking one for the team, Peter. You know. Or maybe some some of us are the ones who speak up and rebuke Jesus and get, get shot down for it. And then the rest of us see and we go, okay, yep, we're learning. But yeah, we're learning together. We're disciples together. I think that's good. I think hearing how this process plays out in each other's lives is very healthy. It's one of the ways that we learn, feel our way toward the mind of Christ. Mm -hmm. Seeing how he has dealt with each of us and our own personalities.
you say too that this, I think it ties into what he was saying, but you said, you know, if you haven't had that sort of sensation, that experience of like, wait a second, that that can't be the way. And the, you know, the Bible's filled with so many examples of that kind of a thing, like dusting the wood with water, or sending a guy that's got a stutter. Yeah. You know, how do you bring about victory over Satan? Well, you die. You know, and it's <laughs> easy to, I think, get into a little bit of a a trap of thinking about that around big things like Abraham going to sacrifice his son but really what's happening in every one of those examples is when someone really favors their way of thinking about it like for mm -hmm. Moses like, no no you need to fix my house because I've got this thing mm -hmm. and that really plays out not just in big things like man how do I overcome this big thing that plays out moment by moment day by day in our lives all the time. Like every time we encounter some little challenge or some obstacle, we relate yeah. to it mm -hmm. in the flesh. We relate to it and how I'd do it. Or, you know, this would be better in the home if I could get this person to do this. If I could get Annabelle this, if I could get, you know. Yeah. And really, it starts with like, the work that God yeah. is doing us and having our mind, the mind, having yeah. the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ wouldn't start and wouldn't correct all these like you know yeah circumstances and it's not just something that's applied to yeah big things in our life it really where it plays out most often is in yeah the day to day yeah that's good i i kind of had some well ever since you uh gave the sermon this past saturday um, <clears throat> on the mind of christ what i've been thinking about is just how that who Jesus is, is one who is as God and chose to descend into the earth and then having found himself in the form of a man in that circumstance, who he is is one to, you know, humble himself unto death. And um, I think this morning highlighting that there are two mindsets and they are like enemies of each other. And it's, I can find myself thinking like, Okay, well, sometimes I do, I think, kind of have the mind of Christ, but then in these circumstances, I'm, like, a little selfish, and I probably need to, like, tweak and adjust that a little bit. Um, and this might be because, <laughs> I don't know if this is an accurate metaphor or not, but um, yesterday I spent, like, two hours risk-storming uh, with a coworker, like, uh, around a very data-centric application, ways that it can be, um, like, ways corruption could intru be introduced into that application. And um, a corrupt database is, like, detrimental to a software system. And once you, like, find that a single, like, record in a single table is, has corrupt data in it, it introduces doubt into, like, the entire system. And usually, it's very hard to, like, understand and trace, like, all the different ways that data could have affected the system. And you can, like, adjust it, like and keep the system as it is and just kind of tweak the corrupt data and you can know everything mm. that was corrupted. You usually have to like do a like restore from a point where you know um, the data was good or wipe the system. Mm. It's like takes a very like, um, uh, it's like a very large operation to like restore it to a good state. And uh, I think that's why like in Philippians, um, he speaks, like, so absolutely of, like, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, mm -hmm. um, or do all things without grumbling and disputing, because um, I think very quickly we can be corrupt through our deceitful desires, and even uh, and Timothy says, men corrupted in their mind are disqualified regarding the faith, and I think that was just helpful for me to think, like, anytime I start making decisions uh, a decision even, a small decision in the day-to-day -day that is opposing the cross, mm -hmm. uh, that chooses against that, I think it introduces doubt into like the whole framework of mm -hmm. my decision-making process. And uh, it has to, has to be renewed and transformed, and a very drastic measure has to be taken to, um, I think, restore your mind into the mind of Christ, because they are so opposed. Um, it's like very insidious <laughs> and easy, I think, to let corruption... Yeah. Come in in like a small area, and before you know it, like your whole, uh, the whole software system <laughs> is. You have to you have to take a drastic measure and and wipe it. Um, 
Yeah. It's not like a little tweak and adjustment. Like right. I realize. Because it's all connected. You can't yeah. isolate. Yeah, we're, we're, we like to isolate and compartmentalize our life. <clears throat> and you can't. We like to pretend that we've isolated and compartmentalized our lives. Yeah. yeah. That's great. I mean, that's the leaven principle, you know. Yeah. Well, leaven leavens the whole lot. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Theological over there in your, in your <laughs> <No>. databases. <laughs> I'm just thinking about corrupt data a lot. That's <laughs> great. I, mean, I love that. The only people use analogies to talk about God, we're using God to talk about his analogies. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think I know more about <laughs> You know, it's kind of like uh, you know, the software principles. <laughs> sort of like what Jesus said. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's great. I like the idea of risk storming. <laughs> I think we should probably sit around and risk storm our lives. <laughs> Seriously. I heard that word. I was going to ask somebody else, like, did you say risk storming? I heard <laughs> I think that, uh, I think we should no longer be called accountability. It should be called risk storming. Half, half of software development is just making up cool new ways to talk about it. Change some group text thread names real quick. <laughs> We're going to have a scrum sprint over here. <laughs> Whatever that means. All right. Amen. Man, this is, this is good. Every time we, t- we touch on this topic, I just start to realize, like, this isn't a topic. This is the topic. You know, this is, this is it. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And everything else flows toward it and from it. You know, and this is the, this is the nucleus this is the the motherboard. <clears throat> nice. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, we'll, we'll share it. <laughs> <one, one, one, laughs> no, the keep sharing. Is that a... Keep sharing. <laughs> we love it. He was talking about software and it's some interest in hardware. <laughs> I mean, hardware has the same thing, though. Yeah, that's true. There's a process that is when you're making a product, failure mode and effect analysis. I mean, will this catch fire and burn someone's house down? What are the things that cascade? Concrete foundation. I mean, it's yeah. Go trade by trade, guys. Let's just just work our way. I've heard so many metaphors over the years. So much. Up until up until today, most of my understanding of Jesus and the principles therein was through building metaphors. Yeah, (laughs) we have turned a corner. We've turned a corner into software metaphors. Farming or farming or building? Yeah, farming or building. (laughs) Let's update. What did what did Paul tell me? Soldier, athlete, farmer. Yeah. Programmer. Yeah. <laughs> What's the oh, web webmaster? <laughs> All these webmasters. I think most of the qualities Paul's trying to highlight in those careers aren't necessarily like super obvious and so forth. <laughs> Patience. Hardworking, physical labor. <laughs> like tangible fruit yeah. after your, your labor. Yeah. Just a bunch of bits. Yeah, abstract. <laughs> Amen. All right, well, I think we'll probably dive in more to chapter three tonight. Um, oh, what a great time. What a great time in the, in the Word. This is, I feel like it's um, doing Paul and coming to some of these just foundational books uh, after having gone through all of scripture. It's just so, it's so rewarding. I don't know. It's kind of a, it's kind of a culmination of, of everything that we've been moving toward. 
I'm just talking Grant too about Philippians specifically that it's four chapters, but it might be like the pound for pound greatest fighter in the Bible. I I would. I, I, I could so get on board with that. There's so much good stuff. <laughs> I like, could get on board with that in Philippians. Colossians. Colossians. <laughs> yeah, it's just like. What do you got? I wish we could stay here all night and all day. And do what? Just talk about God? Yeah. Talk about Jesus? Yeah. Hey, Amen. Got an eyebrow fight going on here. <laughs> Eyebrow break. Right in the middle of the thought. You're a pretty special guy, Salem. I like having you here. I'm glad you're here. Isn't this a good group of people? It's an awesome group of people. Brothers and uncles and dads and Good friends. All right, well, anybody want to close us in prayer? Go ahead, Grant. Was that a hat shake of volunteers? Yes, Lord. Uh, that you'll give us, uh, that you won't, you won't give up on us after the first try. If it's still blurry, that you'll, that you'll go back and finish the job that you promised to finish. Yes, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> yes. Father, give us all the, uh, the ears to hear your voice, mm-hmm. and give us the wisdom when we hit those crossroads, Lord, to choose. To honor others, to put mm-hmm. others before ourselves, mm-hmm. to have the heart of Christ, the mind of Christ, to choose the cross, Father, every time. Thank you for showing us the way. Yes, Lord. Bless us today. We prepare to worship tonight together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.